2: Welcome back in as we get ready for another week of the sportsmediawatch.com podcast. Great to be back aboard with the John Lewis of sportsmediawatch.com. I am merely TJ Reeves. Lots to discuss. As college football progresses, the NFL uh, is uh, done with a second weekend, an amazing, crazy weekend, and the ratings reflected all the crazy action scoring with the viewers. We've got a WNBA champion crowned, Viva Las Vegas. I'm not going to sing it. Uh, We'll talk more about that. And a special guest as well, Charles Davis, to be here from the NFL on CBS coverage. Charles, a well-traveled, well-versed broadcaster in a lot of different sports. We look forward to talking with him later on in the program first though hello john lewis uh going to be back with you midweek here as we get underway with another podcast how are things
3: oh you know things are going uh, as well as they can be right uh you know doing all sorts of work on the house trying to you know can get that can get a little expensive uh so you know uh, just getting by just getting by weird stuff happens all the time and it's like
2: uh yeah just
3: Well, we know from
2: previous podcasts, you got the washer dryer situation settled. You've got some other construction going on. So that's good in the first world. I, at the time we're talking, have come back from New Orleans, Louisiana, where my Tampa Bay Buccaneers and my radio duties with them have played the New Orleans Saints in what was a wild game that uh, obviously had the ejections of Mike Evans, the star wide receiver for the Bucks, Marshawn Lattimore, the uh, needling pesky corner of the. New Orleans Saints so they were thrown out of the game together on Sunday Uh, Tom Brady threw a go-ahead touchdown pass and look I I keep saying on every show and every podcast uh, that I am on every interview that I've been giving stuff that I've been doing Jameis Winston was tremendous to me personally and professionally I I have affection for him I empathized at times with his struggles but for once, it was good to see Jameis Winston throwing interceptions to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that cost his team and allowed the Bucs to win. It was certainly different. It was certainly wild. So I come off the weekend having been there. And that was part of a wild weekend in the NFL that we're going to talk yeah, about some college football was. and much more. We got We got a lot on the plate today. Um, We should make mention, too, for the audience that you should be following and subscribing here to the sportsmediawatch.com podcast feed because you get great content not only from George Offman with his Tell Me a Story I Don't Know podcast series. Lawrence Samuels, a a longtime mainstay sports radio host in the Chicago market uh, with the score in Chicago, the midday host. He's the guest this week. So George has got tremendous guests. Uh, you'll hear from Lawrence Samuels. If you're on the podcast feed, go back and find it because we also, John, we want to let the audience know that should follow and subscribe because we put up a special episode off the WNBA championship win by the Las Vegas aces this past Sunday in Connecticut. I, uh, um, Ryan Rucco, uh, was with us on a special episode, Ryan with ESPN slash ABC and the coverage of the WNBA. I got all my initials straight. Ryan mm-hmm. Rucco with us in a special interview that we've already put on the podcast feed. They can go back to the show just before this one and hear that conversation.
3: We also talked with Brian about Aaron Judge. He obviously works for Yes Network. And Ryan gave a lot of insight. You know, there's a story about how he's not doing the series up coming up, Yankees in Toronto, and uh, John Sterling's doing it instead. Some people have thought that maybe John Sterling big-timed Ryan Rico a bit. Ryan explains all of it, and uh, you know he says it's nothing of the sort. So if you want to know more about that, definitely give that a listen.
2: Yeah, go back, and and he, he gave some great insight into his championship call on Sunday where the Las Vegas Aces won the title in the best of five in game four and how he went through that. So again, we're plugging that. Go backwards on the podcast. Uh, feed here from sports media watch and you will hear that and of course our guys mike gill and phil demont mullen have the announcer schedules podcast i'm sure they'll give a critique of ryan rucco and rebecca lobo they always go over the high spots the big time announcers they they usually john get in the neighborhood of 60 70 announcer mentions or more of, of who they're talking about so you'll hear their podcast on this feed as well make sure you're following or subscribing wherever you get podcasts to the sports media watch dot-com podcast, Apple podcast, Spotify, Google podcast, and you're good. All right, Uh, let's begin with a little college football. Kind of go chronologically. There were not uh, riveting, earth-shattering matchups. Of course, Oklahoma-Nebraska used to be such a tremendous rivalry, great build-up game. It's not anymore. In the 2000s of college football, they're in different conferences now. They don't play all the time, and it wasn't a very good game Sunday. So that led off the Fox Big Noon kickoff. From a rating standpoint, though, not a tremendous Saturday overall. John, give us a little bit of the breakdown here as we get underway.
3: Well, you know, the, the, the greatest drama was what happened with Gus Johnson, right? Mm. There was really nothing going on in the game. Uh, the viewership was pretty middling, you know, 3.4 million, uh, nothing uh, overly impressive. Uh, You know, it is what it is. You're going to get weeks like that. Same matchup last year was at least 4.2 million. So that's pretty, pretty steep drop. Same week of the season too. same network, same time slot.
2: And Alabama, Texas had what three times that audience had close to 10 million bigger brand names. So yes. it was a drop-off. And, and obviously the Nebraska situation with Scott Frost having been fired, they're not as good. I mean, I'm older than you. I can remember when the Nebraska-Oklahoma game in the 80s every year, seemingly one of them would be ranked number one or number two, and the other one's yeah. looking to knock them off. And it's a different time, too, because there were fewer games on TV. There were not 50 games on a Saturday. There were usually only two maybe four games on a Saturday back in the mid-80s. I'm talking about the Tom Osborne Huskers. John doesn't know what I'm talking about. He knows the names. But the Tom Osborne Huskers, the Barry Switzer, Oklahoma Sooners, invariably one of them would be ranked number one or number two. It always seemed that way. And Oklahoma's good. Nebraska's not good. So you can understand where that did not help uh, in the race. Before we move off that, you did mention Gus Johnson and the illness uh, whatever it was, we have not learned what it was. Gus has not talked about what it was, but it was bad enough that he stopped broadcasting the game at halftime yep. of the game, John.
3: Yeah, very rare, maybe even unprecedented for a national announcer to leave a game, uh, midway through due to illness. Uh, I know Rich and Arrett, uh, the voice of the Sabres had a medical emergency on the ear once was stretchered off and was thankfully all right. Very rare, though, for a national announcer. I can't think of any circumstance where that's happened.
2: I thought of another one. John Crook remembers Sunday night baseball, yeah, sure. but that was not during the game. If I remember correctly, I believe it was before the game right. began. Had a similar kind of thing where he ended up, I believe, same thing. They had to get a stretcher for him and take him in an ambulance away. It does not happen that often. There's been occasions, I've had this happen to me, where an announcer starts losing their voice or doesn't have their yeah. voice. We talked about that with Chris Collinsworth during the Sunday night Cowboys-Buccaneers game with Mike Tirico, his voice hung in there. In this case, Fox had some options. They initially had Joel Klatt calling the game and had Urban Meyer coming on for some comments. Later, Brady Quinn was able to make his way and get to the booth, and Brady Quinn became the analyst. He's done a lot of college and NFL football for Fox in the booth with Joel Klatt calling it. Just give me a quick uh, feedback on Joel Klatt having to step in as the analyst and try to call plays. Granted, it was a blowout game at that point in the second half. But any thought on that, John?
3: Uh, it would have been nice for me to hear it while it was on the air. You know, look, I-, I wasn't watching the game. I was out and about. Uh, and, uh, you know, hey, Clat has, I believe, done this before. Um, anytime you are, as an analyst, able to step into the play-by-play role, it's a good skill to have. Uh, people forget, but Chris Collinsworth, NBC, was thinking about having him be the play by play voice on Sunday night football mm-hmm. with uh, John Madden because uh, uh, they, they, you know, Al Michaels had signed with ESPN. And I guess Costas wanted to be in the studio. So, you know, I mean, sometimes analysts have that skill. They're talking to someone today, Charles Davis, who, you know, he's done the sideline reporting role before. So sometimes when you're an analyst, you get into those non analyst roles. And it's definitely a good skill to cultivate
2: a good point that you make because like the arguably the most famous announcer from CBS with their NFL coverage is Pat Summerall. And he was a player yep. first and foremost, and he was the analyst for the first few years. He was like the third person in the booth and an analyst before he became the play by play guy right. later on. So it is interesting. And I did hear a little bit of Joel Klatt. It was bizarre for everybody. But, I mean, I I had gone in another room. I was trying to get ready to leave to go to New Orleans with the Buccaneers later in the afternoon, an hour or two later. I come back in, and you don't hear Gus Johnson talking. You only hear Joel Klatt talking. And I'm thinking, okay, Joel's making a point. He's talking about Oklahoma's offense. Now suddenly they've brought in Urban Meyer. And honestly, John, I think this was for a lot of people. They're thinking it's a blowout game. You're not really noticing for a play or two that something is up. But then it became apparent after the next play and then a third play, Gus Johnson's not talking because he's not there. So exactly. we wish we wish Gus well from everything we can gather midweek. He is expected to be back yeah. but this weekend. John, give us the details.
3: Yeah, well, I mean, they said as much on Saturday, uh, Gus, you know, is feeling better, expects to be back next week. The reality of the matter is, I mean, uh, as is everybody's right to keep their medical issues private. We have no idea what's going on. You know, we do a lot of speculating about people's health, especially in the COVID era. You know, in the COVID era, we've all decided that it's our business to analyze somebody else's voice to see if they're sick, you know, and and somewhat understandably, somewhat understandably. Uh, But, you know, it it is actually none of our business how Gus is doing. Uh, You know, hopefully he's doing well and you know uh i i'll just kind of leave that story alone and if he doesn't show up on saturday then we can have a a more i think uh significant conversation you know sure. what i mean
2: he is slated to work the Michigan Maryland game which is the Fox Big Noon kickoff game for this weekend by the way while we're doing college football plugs i don't think i've mentioned this to you I have been to Texas numerous times. I actually lived two different times in my life in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. One time with my wife, we were newly married, and I got a radio job to move to Dallas-Fort Worth and was actually only there for nine months before I got a better opportunity to come back to Tampa Bay and do radio. Anyway, I am about to broadcast with the Tiki Barber, Mm. uh, the uh, Compass Media Network's national radio call of Texas Tech and number 22 Texas, so the rivalry game with the Red Raiders, And the Hook'em Horns will be Saturday afternoon. We'll have that game at 2.30 Central Time, 3.30 Eastern Time. There's a bevy of other games going on, obviously, Saturday afternoon. But Tiki and I are looking forward to that. Tiki's been working the NFL with Tom McCarthy the first two weekends of the NFL season. They worked the Jacksonville win over Indianapolis Sunday in NFL football. Uh, By the way, another plug, you can hear more from Tom McCarthy off the announcer schedules podcast on this podcast feed. Tom does the Philadelphia Phillies, does CBS, does Westwood One's college basketball as well for the NCAA tournament. Uh, So again, I will be with Tiki for this weekend. I'll report back on Lubbock, Texas. I have never been to Lubbock, Texas. They've announced the game is sold out. Uh, You would figure that is the case for Texas coming in, rivalry game. So I will report back on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast how our broadcast goes and how things are in the home of the Red Raiders. Actually, our guest, Charles Davis, we're not talking about this in our interview coming up, but he actually told me something about this because he has previously worked games at Texas Tech, that at one time they did this. I don't know that they still do this. Whenever something big happens for the Red Raiders, they throw tortillas everywhere in the stands and on the field. He's Um. like, watch out for the tortillas. So I don't know if that's still the case in Lubbock. We will you know, find they, out. They we'll used see. to
3: throw. Uh, they used to throw octopi on the ice. There used to be a yes. team called. Uh, there used to be a team called the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, they don't exist <laughs> anymore, but uh, they used to throw octopi on the ice
2: all uh, right. the back then. Yeah. But do you know? Why? Do you know the history of the octopi and why it became significant with the, with the Red Wings? Not quite. Not quite. Because back in that day, to win the Stanley Cup, you had to win two seven-game series by winning four games in each eight wins, eight are they tentacles? Yeah. Eight apparatus, eight eight appendages of the octopi? Eight pie. That's what eight pie eight. that's the that's the origin of the octopi to yeah. win eight. and people would sneak that in under their clothes yeah. and smell disgusting, etc for for two hours or three hours while watching the game to throw it on the ice yeah. later in the game for the win. Anyway, traditions. Traditions with that, I'm told, tortillas there. There's other there's no. other ones, too. You know, fans throwing confetti. They, uh, they would throw confetti in the stands on the first basket in some basketball arenas. Syracuse at what was the Carrier Dome, it's got another sponsor name, they're famous, John, for standing and clapping to start really? the game and to start the second half. In other words, the, the center tip happens, they stand and clap and clap until Syracuse scores and everybody roars and sits down. I have been in that arena where Syracuse didn't score like the first trip or two down and the fans are still standing and clapping like a minute, a minute and a half into play in the second half. So there's different traditions. It's not tortillas in Syracuse is my point uh, there with that. But it is college football for this weekend. And, uh, and by the way, the primetime game was what? Michigan State and Washington. Yeah. And, and again, for ABC and ESPN, it was not a big ratings grabber, even though Washington won impressively.
3: Yeah, I mean, the reality is uh, Pac-12 teams don't draw that well. Um, they just don't. Uh, so, I mean, it wasn't a bad number, but, you know, uh, this is what, a 1.6 and 2.79. I mean, it's not a bad number. It's just kind of not anything anyone's going to brag about. And down 60-plus percent from Auburn and Penn State in the same window last year. So
2: and this week it will be Ohio state in that primetime window yeah. window with Chris Fowler and Kirk Herbstreet calling the game, Ohio state and Wisconsin. So that'll probably bump things back up because Ohio state again is iconic in the yeah. big 10 national brand, that kind of thing. Let's move on to the NFL, unless you had something else. Do you have something oh, yeah. else? For I was
3: just, you know, I was just thinking about Street, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know Kirk Street. I did meet him once. I actually got to do the little, um, gaggle with all the game day folks way back when uh but you know i don't know herb street i don't know anything about him as a person but i just i i don't believe he could enjoy being on game day right now because he's doing the thursday night game
1: Mm -hmm. and he's
3: flying out to do the you know 10 in the morning probably hours of prep beforehand surrounded by screaming drunk undergrads (laughs) and then he has to go fly someplace else to do another game at night I just feel like there's no way that he can enjoy it. I mean, again, I don't know him. Maybe he's having the time of his life, but I I just feel like he's got to be so exhausted. Like, you know, just, and by the way, you know, he's got blood clots too, right? Ernie Johnson. He's had problems
2: with it, right? Yes.
3: When Ernie had blood clots, he took the entire baseball playoffs off a few years ago. So he's doing all of this and he's not really in the the health that you know one would ideally be in. I don't know. Fowler did game day and Saturday night football for one year, and then that was it. It's like okay give this to Reese I'm, I'm done I can't right, do-
2: because frequently they would get done with game day and both of them would go get on the plane and exactly. and take off to wherever they're going now Chris Fowler under their scenarios usually is already there right. but like for the USC Stanford game two weekends ago they both I believe were at Texas Alabama doing college game day Reese Davis and Kirk Herm Street were on the set and then had yep. to get on the plane and fly to Palo Alto private plane yes but still you got to fly a couple 3 hours to get to Palo Alto and call USC Stanford th- that night so yeah, i think
3: it's all it, it's all it's a bit absurd uh, and frankly uh this maybe should probably be the last year of it in my view because one you've got Pat McAfee he's clearly going to be the successor to Lee Corso uh i don't know how many more years he's going to do you don't want to push him out i know people say things about him on social media but everybody loves Lee Corso so as long as he wants to do it he can do it But to me, the moment Lee Corser retires, I I also move Herb Street off of that for his own good, like just as a matter of mercy to give him a little bit more of his time back. And uh, I reorient the show around McAfee and, you know, you can have uh, Davis, McAfee and
2: uh, somebody else. I don't know. You got Desmond Howard there as well. Yeah. and we'll see how much longer he continues in that role. All right, so let's you know, move to the yeah, go ahead. Oh,
3: just one quick one more quick thing. For a show that is so youth focused, right? Maybe Pat McAfee shouldn't be the only youngish person on there because, you know, I mean, you know, maybe get uh I mean, it, you know, it's it's hard to find talent, you know, but uh I I would try to get somebody maybe Robert Griffin the 3rd Actually. Yeah.
2: Well, and they've worked him in obviously not only as a game analyst, but on Monday night football for the NFL as well uh, for that. So it's not a bad suggestion. Now, interesting. While we segue to the NFL Kirk Herbstreet, obviously in the booth with Al Michaels last Thursday night going backwards uh, for the game with the chiefs and the chargers that opened up the first Amazon broadcast Uh, again, from what you got to see of it, any thoughts on that? And I know the ratings are still not in Uh yet. that as we tape midweek
3: no ratings yet so you know make of that what you will i don't think it's any big cover-up people you know one of the lasting legacies of that insane trump nonsense about nfl ratings is that people get really conspiratorial about them the fact of the matter is you know everyone in this industry is a realist well not everybody but most people I don't think anyone at the NFL or Amazon is like, oh, my God, these numbers are terrible. No one can ever see them. You know, I mean, it is what it is, right? Everyone's going to make money no matter what. So I don't think there's any particular thing to read into
2: the numbers not being there. I will disagree just from this standpoint. I have been consistent all along. If this thing is drastically, and I mean drastically less, that's going to become a concern. Now, I'm not saying they panic after a game or two. But when you have so many people, I keep saying this ingrained on turning on network TV and having the Thursday night game there. When we get to week four, when we I'm sure it went on last Thursday night because the first week, you had the Bills Rams game on over the air NBC network TV. So now when people realize Steelers Browns this week are not on again, and I can't see it. And instead of having eight, nine, ten, whatever it is, twelve million there or more, You're having one or two million there. That's going to be a concern, but the screaming is going to get louder on people saying this is an important game and I can't see it. So again, I'm just on that aisle. I'm on that side of the aisle right now on that, John.
3: I understand, but I guess my thought process is, you know, the ratings are what the ratings are. And I I just don't think there's going to be any big cover up. To me, it all comes down to Amazon is, you know, not a traditional linear network. And Nielsen is measuring it for the first time. And Nielsen, we already know, botched an entire year's worth, two years worth of TV ratings. They're probably just being a little bit extra careful. So uh, that—that's my point of view on that. Uh, I gotcha. will, I will note as far as the broadcast goes. I, I mentioned this before. It was seamless. It was uh, very professionally done. Very NBC. Uh, you can't go wrong with Al Michaels and uh, Herb Street. Ultimately, is going to need to, and he will with time. Maybe ease up on the college references because it is an NFL broadcast, but you know, for the first few weeks, it's understandable. Uh, and uh, I, I think there's uh, it's it's a it's the best Thursday night broadcast they've had. I mean, even with Buck and Aikman, you know, and Buck and Aikman's one of the best teams, you know, that always felt like a, some extra thing. Buck and Aikman or Nance and Romo like they were being tasked to do some extra thing those were not Thursday night broadcast teams those were Sunday broadcast teams doing extra work on a Thursday night so really this is the first Thursday night broadcast team since what Nestler and uh I'm not even sure who else was there, there was Matt-,
2: Matt Millen sound yeah. right it was it was that and then Bob I Papa I think in Matt Millen yeah. and they also had Bryant Gumble. They did uh, doing the games. I think with Mike Mayock, etc., on the NFL networks, was, had various Collinsworth, ones. I think Collinsworth, yeah. Yeah. Had I mean,
3: Brian Gumble was the first one. It was an insane decision. I mean, Brian Gumble doesn't have that great voice for play by play and Brian. And, you know, I honestly, a little bit to his credit, you know, Brian is an uncompromising guy. You know, Brian is somebody who he's, you know, but he's not loved as a result. I have no problem with him being the way that he is uh at all i think that's probably you know the way you have to be in a cutthroat industry but people don't like him so it was kind of weird that they gave him who's he's not a strong play by play voice and not well liked that they gave him that role but yeah i think you obviously as far as thursday night specific broadcast teams go this is easily the best one
2: Uh, Just one more quick aside, and I'm not, again, uh, Bryant Gumbel's had a phenomenal Hall of Fame career, uh, Emmy Award-winning career for real sports, and obviously did a bunch of work before that on NBC with the Today Show and NBC Sports before that. He is who he is, and we had his brother Greg Gumbel on with George Offman's Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. He's an iconic broadcaster too, but Greg, much more of a play-by-play guy. He evolved into a play-by-play guy. Uh, So Bryant was obviously on the call for one of the most amazing moments um, that there was going to be at the end of that regular season in 2007 with the New England Patriots where the Patriots were going for the 16-0 and 0 perfect season. Yeah. Uh, remember playing the New York Giants. There was a lot of controversy because the NFL Network was in so few homes, John, yeah. that Roger Goodell relented, the NFL relented, and they actually allowed the games to be shown in the local market with the NFL oh, Network nationally, broadcast. Right, they allowed they allowed all of the markets all over the country to get to see yep. the NFL network even if you didn't have it. I can't remember did they put it up for bid? I can't remember on all the local markets on if you had to bid for taking the NFL network broadcast well, or did they, they gave give it a, to NBC? What yeah, did they, they, do? Gave it, they gave it to NBC, right? And CBS. They gave it to NBC They and gave CBS. it to everybody. And so it was right. festival. But Brian Gumble was the only voice on the call whatever yep. network you were on. And so you had the iconic moment in that game I love that word where Tom Brady throws the game-winning bomb touchdown to Randy Moss on that play this is 2007 go back and look it up YouTube it if you want look into it hear Bryant Gumbel you can verify what I'm now saying on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast Brady breaks the Dan Marino I believe touchdown pass record in catching the ball Randy Moss breaks I believe the Jerry Rice touchdown reception record it is the play to clinch the first ever 16-0 regular season. In the fourth quarter, they've basically locked up the first ever 16-0 and regular season in the history of the NFL. And Brian Gumbel, unfortunately, just did not rise to the moment, and I'm being kind. He called it like it was a third-and-three, four-yard game. And yeah. I remember sitting back going, if ever there was a time, Bryant or anybody else, to get animated, my God, what a moment. NFL records and a 16-0 and 0 perfect season. So I'm just making that as a reference point. Did he only do that one year? I believe I he, was he did one two year. years. Two at the most. That was his
3: second year. That was his second year. Two at the most.
2: But yeah. that's one of those that, again, all-time situation there. And the records have since been broken, I believe, a couple of times. The touchdown record has been broken of of quarterbacks, of Tom Brady in that case. But still to have all of that come together in that one. All right, let's wrap it up on the NFL before we get to Charles Davis in a moment. The Sunday night game was Bears-Packers. The Sunday uh, windows, uh, what did you see coming off of week two in the ratings for the NFL real quick?
3: Great number for CBS, more than 27 million, the most in week two for any network since at least 2000. So that really means probably like the 90s. Uh, The reality of the matter is some of that, not, not some of it, but a decent chunk of it is out of home, right? So that means that you know, realistically, there were probably some games in 2015 that did better, all things being equal, but we have the data that we have, right? Not the data we wish we had. So the reality is, based on the Nielsen data, most watched week two telecast since 19-something, probably.
2: And uh, the Cowboys and their dramatic win over the Bengals was that national game with Jim Nance yep. and Tony Romo helped fuel that. And again, it's no secret. Anytime the Cowboys are on because of the love-hate, John, it's automatic. You're going to get an extra $3 million. Four million, maybe more eyeballs because of that, especially if it's a good game, a close game, right?
3: I was actually surprised a little bit because, you know, they don't have Dak Prescott. Uh, I assumed they weren't going to be very competitive in the game, but they ended up winning. You know, you've got the great opponent in terms of the the Bengals, who obviously because of uh, uh, Joe Burrow were a relevant team when they had not been. That had not mm-hmm. been a relevant team for many years. So you know, there's a there's a lot about that game that uh, worked out well for CBS. And the other thing that worked out well for them was that they got the finish, the overtime between Arizona and uh, mm. Vegas. Uh, that was a very entertaining finish. And you know, even the third game, the Houston versus Denver uh, was was close down the stretch. The red zone was basically the CBS outlet there. Although even the Rams game with the Falcons was pretty good too on Fox. So that late window was very strong.
2: By the way, speaking of Greg Gumbel, he's on the call of those Kyler Murray plays against the Raiders for the Cardinals, including the fumble return in overtime for the Cardinals and still got it at 76 years of age, by the way. He was on it with that incredible Sunday of drama too. Dolphins 21.4th quarter comeback to beat Baltimore. Jets back from the dead, down 13 in the final minute and a half. They come back and win in Cleveland. So you had no shortage of excitement For sure,
3: only Cleveland can make the Jets have
2: a moment like that. (laughs) Oh, to be a Browns fan! Yeah, uh, with the torture they put you through. So, speaking of the NFL, speaking of the AFC, speaking of CBS, that leads right into a guest and a conversation. As mentioned, it is a pleasure to get to talk to this guy. He is part of the CBS TV crew with Ian Eagle and Evan Washburn. They worked the Patriots. And the Steelers this past weekend. Charles Davis. Good to talk to you on the SportsMediaWatch.com podcast, my friend. Hello there.
4: Hello, TJ. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. It's always great to talk with you. And I know you've got so many different things going on. Every hat you put on is a significant (laughs) one. And it all revolves around that pigskin. Don't, don't uh, seems hurt.
2: like it. I got. I probably have too many hats. If no, that's no, the case, no.
4: Trust me, you could never have too many hats. Just like they say, with well, you know how many times if you had a dollar for every time you heard, the more you can do in this league, you you would have retired from doing this gig a long time ago.
2: Yeah. I agree with that. Okay, so you saw the Patriots and the Steelers with Ian and your crew this past weekend in New England got the win. So a football question before we get into all the sports media questions. Give me give me uh, an impression on what you saw out of the Patriots getting their first win and winning in Pittsburgh.
4: Well, we know week one after they lost at Miami and adjusted their schedule to go to Miami on a Tuesday before a Sunday game and a season opener because Miami's been a house of horrors for them. And it didn't work. They got beat again, I think, for the eighth time in in the last 10 meetings in Miami. You know, that didn't work. This, you know, he altered it. You know, Bill Belichick altered his schedule. I don't know about this team. And you know what it's like after week one. We know who's going to the Super Bowl. We know who's going to the playoffs. (laughs) We know who the worst team in the league is. We know this is the worst roster. That's how we do it in week one. And when I say we... I'm not saying I don't do, we all do it collectively. We all have snap judgments that's how it works. Well, guess what? As usual, the Patriots. Okay. Okay. didn't go so well this time. We'll figure it out for the next time. And boy, did they ever, they go to Pittsburgh traditional battle with a team with, with they have a lot of respect for, have had some monster battles. It blew me away when I did my research. I didn't realize that they've met three times in the bill Belichick era. In the AFC championship game. Right. And the Patriots are 3-0 and in that time frame. Amazing, right? I mean, you just don't see that. I do believe Bill Cowher beat them in a divisional in a 7-6 to game or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> right. Which, is, which I'm sure somewhere Coach Cowher's got a big grin on his face. That is his type of a game, right? We ran the ball and closed them out, you know. That sort of a deal. But that rivalry is big. And everyone thought, God, New England can't move anyone on offense. Blocking with that line. What are they going to do for playmakers? Defense may struggle to keep up with Pittsburgh and and the playmakers they have. They did it again. They found a way to to dictate pace of play. They found a way to keep the game close. And then made a huge play with Nelson Aguilar, snatching what should have been an interception from McKellar Witherspoon. He'll see that one. Witherspoon will see that one for a long time. It's right there in his mitts. Nagelor just took it right before they changed the complexion of the ball game. Then they closed them out. So as usual, new England, I don't care what you're going to say. They're going to figure things out and they're going to gum up the works for you. I do believe their next two are going to be very interesting. They've Baltimore and then green Bay. You talk about two contrasting quarterbacks and Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers, And of course, both of them can eat you alive. Pittsburgh is going to be very interesting TJ. And I say it for this reason that defense is for real. Now they didn't have the same pressure on Mac Jones that they put on Joe Burrow. TJ Watt's not there. And Alex Highsmith goes from in in movie parlance, character actor to leading man or leading person, leading actor. Mm-hmm. The lights are brighter when you're the lead actor, meaning the blocking schemes changed. He started getting the double teams on the edge that TJ was eating up before. And he's not as dynamic a player. So he wasn't the same factory was opening week when he had three sacks and T.J. Watt was on the other side. So the Steelers got to to figure out what's going to happen there. But Cam Hayward got neutralized inside. The rookie guard, Cole Strange, did a nice job. Michael Wayne, did a nice job. David Andrews, they made it hard on him. So Pittsburgh, though, is going to be fine on defense. I think they're very good.
2: Love this man's insight. And he gave you a lot there. If you're a Steeler fan, if you're a Patriot fan, John Lewis, the uh, the owner, the operator, you read him all the time on Sports Media Watch. I know you got stuff for Charles Davis. Go ahead, my friend.
3: Okay, so, uh, you know, I can't speak too much to the football strategy, but uh, I- I'm going to come in from a bit of the more media side. So you played football, obviously, and you primarily cover football. But uh, a little bit differently than a lot of other people who are football analysts, you've got a lot of interests beyond just football. You have done sideline reporting for the NBA playoffs. You have done sideline reporting for the NCAA tournament. You do golf channel, Uh, and uh, it's uh, it's very interesting because you don't see that a lot. Maybe like an Ahmad Rashad, right, being the, the football player and then becoming identified with the NBA. Obviously, now that you are in the position that you're in, number two broadcaster for a major network, you're getting a playoff game every year. Those roles don't seem to be as prominent in your career as they were. But I am curious, are you still interested in those non-football roles and maybe even expanding them a little bit?
4: That's a great question, John. And, and look, I've never forgotten my roots. I could only hope to be a Rashad. Believe me. I mean, the guy's a college football Hall of Famer. Tremendous players you mentioned already in the NFL, played in the Super Bowl with the Vikings, Um, and then of course, as you said, got got identified the NBA with the great show that he did there, and that that I believe when he finally left that show, I think Summer Sanders, the Olympic gold medalist, took over for him. So it's a big time deal. One like me could only hope to be that person. But to your point, would I love to do other things, do more things that I've done before? Absolutely, and that doesn't mean that it's not still out there. I've been lucky enough to be part of the Madden video game franchise for the last seven years going on eight years now. Um, You know, if, if, sideline reporting kicked back in for me at CBS, I'd be running out there to try and get that part done. You know, would I be covering golf again? Perhaps we'll see. I mean, there's been some, you know, we've kind of kicked it around a little, but I don't know if it's a priority for them, you know, to have me out. They have phenomenal people out there already, but you know, I've never lost my roots there. Um, being a sideline reporter, it was fun. I actually still, it's funny you brought it up. John. I actually talked with someone last week about who's trying to become a sideline reporter and gave them what I used to do and how I'd go about doing it. And, and hopefully they'll be able to expand that and, and update and, and go from there. But we'll see what the future holds. I'm fortunate enough to have what I have right now and I better be working really hard on it so I don't screw that up and get kicked out of it.
2: I love this man for a lot of reasons. He and I have played golf. Uh, John, I don't know if you know this. He's former tournament director, too, for the Disney uh, Golf Classic uh, as well on the PGA Tour. Very diversified. But I have a fun one because you brought it up. You mentioned about the Madden game and being the analyst voice on the Madden game. I dare say you get recognized, maybe not more, but almost as much for that when people find you and they want to talk to you. I know a couple of acquaintances of mine were eager to meet you when we were around because of the Madden game. Uh, Give us a little more on that, Charles Davis.
4: Yeah, you're right about that. That franchise is so steeped into our culture now, both the football culture and just the gaming culture, you know, people who play it and and get involved with it. Um, It's been it's been a very interesting journey because when I first got the job, my son, who's now 24 had said to me
2: that cannot be possible i knew parker I, when he was a toddler do not tell he's me he's known, 24 known do team, not right? tell me he's 24 continue with 24. the answer go ahead but,
4: but he said hey make sure you give people enough lines so we don't know everything you're going to say every time you you pop on which <laughs> and my repertoire the other part of it is you know the kid his his peers adults people love to play the game i just recently met a family that I met the grandfather and the grandfather was giving me tips about what I needed to do and, and how much he enjoyed beating down his grandkids and his, and and his son. So it was just so much fun with this game and this franchise and be part of something that's associated with John Madden, who we're going to forever be, you know, associated as part of, not just part of football, but a huge influencer, Super Bowl winning coach, which a lot of people don't know if you're of a certain age, right? They're like, he coached. A lot of them just knew him and knew him as the guy with the franchise. And it's interesting with that because I get recognized by other people who play the game, but the NFL players who play a lot, I believe that in all that time when I've been going to meetings and this, that, and everything, I don't bring it up, but the Madden game comes up at least once a weekend from someone who refers to I had three sacks this past week. If that doesn't improve my Madden rating, I don't know what will. (laughs) Boy, he was tough to stop. Did you see that move he put on on the second touchdown? It's like he did something out of Madden. Like, it's part of the culture. But I've only been recognized, I think, three times by NFL players. They're like, hey, aren't you the Madden guy? It's been three times in all the time I've been doing it. I'm a voice on the game, but you don't see my face and all that. And I don't think very many people who, who are in the NFL make the connection and that's okay they're not supposed to but trust me on that hmm. very
3: interesting uh kind of getting back to the uh you know the analyst job a little bit uh i wanted to ask you about prep so uh there's a book uh, by uh, mark zumov called total sports casting i used to uh assign it to students they probably didn't read it but i assigned <laughs> it to them anyway uh and uh You know, you're quoted in this book. uh, You say that uh, Bob Rathman, uh, obviously, we all know Bob Rathman, Voice of the Hawks, uh, was the first one to tell you to lighten up on the prep. And to quote directly, uh, what happens is you have so much prep in you, you're going to want to make sure that you spill it all out there. And the game dictates whether you spill it out, not just you doing prep. If you do all this extra prep, there's a natural tendency to be, well, I was up until two in the morning. You're going to hear this. And it's not always good for the broadcast. So So true. you know, how do you then like, how do you figure out what you need to use and what you don't need to use? And more importantly, do you still stay up till two o'clock in the morning, getting all that prep if you're not going to use all of it during the game?
4: Yeah. You know, you mentioned Bob Rathbun, my mentor, one of my mentors by him mentor. First game I ever did Bob Rathbun was a play by play guy, Mississippi <laughs> state hosting Memphis state in football back when it was Memphis State before it became- When
2: I graduated from Memphis State, by the way, you're, I love that, up. yes.
4: Jay's alma mater, and it was the season opener, 1997, August 31st. Uh, Mississippi State kicked the field goal with about three seconds left to beat them. I remember. Jackie Wayne Sherrill coaching Mississippi State, Rip Shearer coaching Memphis State, and the significance is, as we sit here, the day after Queen Elizabeth II was laid to rest officially, August 31, 1997 was the night Princess Di had her car wreck and passed away. about that? That afternoon and then stayed up all night watching that coverage, which started with it's only a fender bender to Mm -hmm. announcing she had passed. It was a crazy night. I digress and get back to your question, John. And Bob's right about the prep. Be careful with how much you do. Be careful with how you spill it out. He's exactly right. And you only learn that through experience. You have good partners. You have good production people, producers, directors who could could rein you in at times. And then, of course, you naturally understanding what applies, what doesn't apply. Is it pertinent? Is it not? Truthfully, if you're doing it right and the game is a good one, you're only going to use like 10 to 20 percent of what you prep for. The game's going to dictate it. The extra prep is for when the game's lousy, (laughs) okay? Because when the game's lousy, that's when they need you because you don't go off air when a team's down 50 in the third quarter. You still have to carry it through. So what else do you have? Because game strategy no longer applies, do we have notes on the quarterback? Do we have notes on the coach? Do we have notes on series history? The, 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 the school's history of the team's fr- franchise history. What about around the league? How does this play out nationally? How does this play out through the league? Who are they coming up to, but all that you better be prepared for. So I still stay up to two o'clock in the morning or get up at four o'clock in the morning or do whatever. I'm not saying that to say, Oh, wow. Look at me. I'm staying up all night. no, It's a matter of each person finding out what works for them and how their study habits are. So Bob's right about how that information comes out, but I've never stopped being what I would hope would be over-prepared, if if indeed that's a phrase. I wanna be prepared to meet the moment when it happens, but have I gotten better at not just spewing it all out because I was up till three o'clock in the morning? I believe so. I believe that my veteran experience now says, okay, you don't need to put that out there because that doesn't apply. In the beginning, I'm pretty sure I was like, oh, yeah, and I'm going to tell you, and then, and then there's another thing, and then there's a third thing, and then there's a fourth thing, and, you know, you learn. You, you learn, and if you don't learn, you don't you don't stay in it very long, and you don't
2: advance. Love this man's insight. He's only with us for a couple more minutes. I could talk to him for 30 or 40 minutes, but he's busy. He's Charles Davis of CBS. Hey, one along those same lines, you mentioned Bob Rathbun. You also worked uh, with Ron Thulin, who John's going to perk up here because he was a big NBA voice, obviously, on cable and with Turner. You worked with him. You worked with Thu, uh, as you always called him affectionately, you worked with Th- with Thu on TBS's college football. You yep. later did for Fox, the national championship game, the BCS title games, working with Tom Brenneman, with Barry Alvarez. You later worked with Gus Johnson. You're yep. now working with Ian Eagle on CBS. Th- those are some names that I just yep. Rattled, yep. Off, rattled off there. Uh, what's yep. that like to be with some of those names? Just real quick, generally.
4: I'm pretty fortunate, aren't I? Okay. Now I don't want to miss people, but if I start taking mm-hmm. off every name, we'll be here till tomorrow. But right. here's the bottom line. And I don't want to miss the people I work with along the way. Okay. The Andrew Monaco's, the Barry Milligan's, the Sean Alvashire's, right? You name them, the, 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 the Paul Kennedy's that I work with on Sunshine Network.
2: Pat Clark in Orlando, who you work Pat, with a bunch.
4: Pat Clark, where we hosted a radio show and a TV show on Sunshine, another great mentor and phenomenal friend. All these people that I work with were wonderful. A bunch of people I'm not going to be able to name that I worked with along the way that put up with me, okay? They had to help train me and teach me. But just think about this. since I went, Since I joined Fox at the time I was there, okay, before leaving there to go to CBS, here when I was doing college football, Tom Brenneman, one of the great voices that you will hear and a phenomenal one. And it's, I was really happy to see that he's actually got a gig back in Cincinnati now. And I hope that that expands for him. All right, Tom, you know, Tom is a wonderful broadcaster, a very good friend. I just want to see everything go well for him. But when you heard when you hear Tom Brenneman's voice, you know, it's a big game, right? So we did three national championships. One of them with Barry Alvarez, the other two, me and him. Um, Chris Myers was on the sidelines for us. We did Big Ten Network together. Carissa Thompson got her start there. The first game we ever did was Appalachian State, Michigan. (laughs) Chris Thompson's (laughs) first game on the sidelines. And that's how the Big Ten Network came on air, the first ever event that they had. Tom Brenneman is a partner. When I got moved to the NFL at at Fox by David Hill, my first partner was the Hall of Famer, Dick Stockton. Mm -hmm. Doesn't get much better than that, does it? When I moved back to college football, the great Gus Johnson, my brother. Unbelievable, right? When I go from Gus, when they move me back to the NFL, I'm back with Tom Brenneman. That's not so bad now, is it? That's pretty darn good. My next move in the NFL, Kevin Burkhart. Now the number one guy for Fox, for Fox uh, NFL football. Going to be calling a Super Bowl this year. Couldn't be happier for him. He is phenomenal. I move I moved over to CBS. Does it get any better than I and eagle? I dare say no. How fortunate am I to have that run of partners while I'm working? Not to mention on the weeks Kevin Burkhart was out, I get Kenny Albert, the cyborg. And I said that with nothing but affection. I think I'm pretty good about sports trivia and understanding games, leagues, everything that's out there. Kenny Albert puts me to shame. You know who told me he would? Tony Siragusa. God rest Late his yeah The goose, the goose. I worked one season with the goose and he looks at me, and he goes, Hey Charles, you think you're pretty good on the sports knowledge, don't you? And I said, Yeah, goose, I'm not bad. He goes, You know Kenny Albert. He's a <laughs> cyborg. <laughs> First time I've worked with Kenny, I tested him, hit him on something, just what the heck. He came back with me with names, dates, who the guy's parents were, where they were born, darn near where he was conceived. And I threw up the white flag right there. I called the goose and said, "You win. You're right. He's unbelievable." I've done games with Sam Rosen, the great voice of the of the New York Rangers, and for a long time with Fox. I've been with some phenomenal people. How lucky am I? I've learned from all of them. I've been taught by them. I, I trained with them, and I got to be friends with all of them. Not to mention, as you mentioned, through before that with 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 uh, with um, Mm -hmm. Turner sports guys it doesn't get a whole lot better than that and I've been lucky enough that all of them I consider friends and I hope they consider me the same way
2: well and it says something for you as well I know you've got to go uh again Jets and Bengals this week as we're taping this correct with Ian Eagle and Evan Washburn on the crew he's deep in the prep John Lewis I know we've loved talking to Charles Davis correct one more time yeah no it's been great thank you so much for joining us
4: but thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Continue to push that knowledge out there, guys. You do a fantastic job as always. And John, it's so great to meet you for the first time. I hope this is the first of many. Yeah. I've been lucky enough to know TJ long enough that his, his daughters have, have been born in high school. <laughs> Charles
2: and Chris Meyer said hello to my twins after they were just born. And I'm showing Charles a a new picture on the video hookup that we see. They're not newborns anymore. They're now high school freshmen. So, you
4: know, know it reminds me of what all the great coaches have always said, who have been in college, the college coach was football, basketball, whatever we get older. But the people we coach are always the same age. <laughs> Those coaches always have to learn to adapt, keep themselves young. I remember when Matt Brown yeah. won the national title at Texas, he had the players load up his iPod with their music so he could stay relevant, understanding what they were doing. Tom Izzo talks about it all the time that, yeah, I'm getting older, sure. Like I find a way to stay young and relevant with these kids. So when I talk to them, they don't just think some relic is coming at them. And I'm making references from 1985 <laughs> as opposed to 2022. All right. I get it? I'm working on it myself. Although I will say this I've tried it with music. I always said I was going to be the cool guy that stayed up on all the music. I gave up. Give me my 70s. Give me my Motown. There we go. Good.
2: Uh, listen, I know you got to go. We got to go as well. And by the way, we didn't even get into Tennessee and Florida Saturday on CBS. Charles oh, wow. is a ball. His daughter went to the University of Florida. They may or oh, may I, not. Yeah,
4: she, she and my money went to the university. They, they I, may I, or I, may not yeah.
2: be speaking to each other this weekend. I don't know how that's going to go, but we'll be watching you on CBS with Jets and Bengals and throughout the year with Iron Eagle. Charles, thank you, brother.
4: Thank you. And, and it's a ba- it's time for our Vols to, to beat those Gators. It's time for us to win one of those big games. We got them at home. Go big orange.
2: I don't mind saying it. Love that man uh, for all that he uh, has done for me personally and professionally. Hilarious little subplot as we were talking at the end about him giving the shout out to my twins after they had just been born. So that was in the summer of 2008. He's doing the preseason Buccaneer broadcast with the Chris Myers. Chris has been doing the Buck preseason games for almost 20 years now. Yeah. And you see him all the time on Fox, great personality. So Chris and, uh, and Charles engineered a shout out to my uh, twin daughters, Riley and Abby. The funniest thing is up until like a couple of years ago, Chris Myers perpetually thought my twins were like two or three years old. I'm like, Chris, you did that shout out in 2008. Uh, yeah, it's been a while. So I show him pictures now. He's like the twins, all the look at the twins. And so, uh, yes, um, I, I again publicly say thank you to Chris and Charles for that. But it was a while ago, Chris. That's my only point. Any final thought there on Charles Davis being with us?
3: Hey, Charles Davis is a consummate pro. He's in a great position right now. I I do wonder, you know, if he had stayed at Fox, would he get that Super Bowl role because of everything he was on their B team? But, you know, I think it's worked out pretty well for him getting a playoff game, working with Iron Eagle. Uh, That's a quality team, you know, Uh, that's, you know, if uh, Nansen Romo ever gets snowed in before the AFC championship game and, you know, uh, I uh, Eagle and and, and Davis would not be a poor uh, substitute.
2: And unfortunately for him, he did not get to work that NFL playoff game last year because he had tested positive for COVID-19 and did not get to work. In that, uh, in that weekend when they were supposed to have their game on CBS. So Charles is still looking forward to that this year with Iron Eagle. And again, as good as he is on the air, and he's good, fantastic, even better off the air uh, with whatever you need. And like and like I was joking with him, he is hardcore University of Tennessee and his daughter went to the University of Florida, as you heard Charles mention of. So they play Saturday on CBS in the national game. So that's interesting. And again, Charles and Ian Eagle Jets Cincinnati coming for this weekend in the CBS co- uh, coverage. A lot of the country will obviously see that as they're the number two team there for that broadcast that's coming up. All right. That takes us to the home stretch here. On our podcast, here we go. Love it or leave it. WNBA will be our first subject. We did make mention, John, earlier in the podcast that Ryan Rucco uh, is with us on the podcast feed on the previous show, A Standalone Conversation. He and Rebecca Lobo worked that WNBA clinching game for the Las Vegas Aces in Game 4 at Connecticut. All right, so take me through a little bit of the drama. Las Vegas's first championship ever in any sport comes in a wnba title they wrap up the season what are your thoughts here
3: well you know i mean look let's just get to the main issue ratings wise three out of the first three out of the four games of the finals went up against the nfl and the final game not only went up against the nfl but did so on espn so it's one thing to go up against an nfl sunday on abc quite another to go up against an NFL Sunday on cable. And so this was easily the least watched game of the finals. And really one of the lower finals audiences for any game that you're going to see, Uh, you know, anytime a WNBA finals game is under the 400,000 mark, that's not a good number. They got to do better. Uh, You know, Kathy Engelbert's done a lot of good things for the WNBA. It's a small thing, but the uniforms actually being uniforms and, you know, not every single team is wearing a giant ad, And then the same number font and design, like the teams actually have real designs now. You know, I mean, it's pathetic, but for well over a decade, every WNBA team wore the same uniform. The only difference was the color, the ad sponsor, and maybe a logo here or there. So Engelbert is, you know, the most important leader the WNBA has had since Val Ackerman. Uh, But the reality of the matter is this nonsense about going up against the NFL has got to stop. Uh, and uh, especially if you're going to go up against the NFL, then you know, then you got to get those games on CBS, and you got to get that single header time slot, right? If you have to be on during football season, and you have a deal with an NFL broadcaster, then you have to take advantage of that single header window. That means a 4:25, 4:30, 5 o'clock game on an NFL Sunday, leading out of those one o'clock games. Now, in a third of the country. That's not going to be workable right. because they're going to get a, a 4 p.m. game, but that's still better than the alternative. So to me, um, they got to get creative or they got to get out of the NFL's way because this is just no way to do it. The other thing, too, they got bumped from ABC for the Premier Lacrosse League final. Premier Lacrosse League final had an atrocious 225,000 viewers, less than half of what the WNBA had in that window last week and less than the WNBA had in its diminished ESPN window this week. So if you're Kathy Engelbert, you say, don't you ever bump us for the Premier (laughs) Lacrosse League final again. We get that window on ABC. If we have to do afternoon against football, then we'd better be on ABC and not ESPN. But what they really need to do is stop the season uh Labor Day weekend. They gotta they gotta get that done. Uh, Which that,
2: they used to yeah. point it out again for the audience yeah. hearing us now, you've pointed it out before on previous podcasts. They used to have this in the in the early years of the WNBA be a summertime yep. league that was done before you got to football. Exactly. And you know,
3: I mean that's the way it should be. Now you say well they're expanding the regular season. You know, there's days throughout the WNBA season where there's no games, right? You know, tighten up the schedule. You can't start earlier than May because the rookies have to have a training camp. You can't say, okay, hope you enjoyed winning in the national championship training (laughs) camp starts tomorrow. Next week.
2: Right. 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 Next week. Be here.
3: You got to give the rookies a little bit of, 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 uh, some preparation time, but you can start in uh, early May, condense the schedule a little bit and get the season done by, uh, you know, July 30th playoff start. What August 1st, you have a full month for playoffs That, to me, is the way to do it because, I mean, the WNBA two weeks ago on uh, September 5th had 905,000 viewers for the Aces Storm game. That dropped by about half for game one of the finals opposite the NFL the next week and dropped even further for game four opposite the NFL and on ESPN. That's no way to grow an audience.
2: It's all valid points. It almost makes you think, and we don't have to go on for another five minutes. It almost makes you think that the attitude was, hey, the WNBA fans will find this. We're not trying to compete with any of the NFL people and get them to watch. Let's just air it. Let's just show it. You're saying the women deserve better than that. They deserve to have a better Mm -hmm. slot, a better lead in than that, especially at this stage. And maybe... Uh, maybe it's one of those two where the NBA should also be involved because right. they are footing the bill here for that league. They, they support it financially. And maybe well, they mean, should be the ones to also say it should be in a better slot, not on a Sunday right. against the NFL.
3: Well, it's not about deserve because that gets into this whole business of charitable this and that. It's all about business sense. If you want the kind of money the WNBA wants in terms of TV, right, and you've got to maximize your audience, you are doing the exact opposite by going up against the NFL. I mean, this is a league that got, again, nearly a million viewers for Game 3 in the semifinals. Right, right. Most sports, your finals are doing better than your semifinals, not a lot worse. So, you know, if you want me, get... me
2: clarify what I mean by deserve right. is if you're a broadcast partner, which ESPN and ABC is, and you're all in on the regular season and the planning of the postseason right. and looking at dates and trying to work it out, You deserve as that entity to say, hey, broadcast partner, be good to us. Maybe a game goes against college or NFL football because it's not avoidable uh, in the finals we're talking about. right? But that's what I mean by deserve. Exactly.
3: Yeah. You know, and Ryan Rucco in our discussion mentioned, you know, he wants to be doing the WNBA when it averages 1 million, 2 million, 4 million. And that's not going to happen if they're going up against football. That is putting a ceiling
2: and an artificially low ceiling on what the WNBA can get. And, and by the way, it fuels the argument. Nobody cares. Nobody watches. Right. But to if your you look, point, I if mean, you put it where it, it can be seen and it's not up against football, there obviously was growing audience. On yeah. That.
3: And the reality of the matter is, if your championship is crowned and you're not even getting 400,000 viewers for the clinching game, it's hard to dispute the argument that nobody watches. But I know that people watch the WNBA. I see the numbers all right. season long. But that is our that's an
2: awful number to finish your season on. And again, just one more time, say the the women's NCAA championship basketball yeah. game gets what kind of rating? Nearly 5 million this year. Okay. I mean, nearly 5 so million. there is, it's not as if there's no audience for ladies' yeah. basketball, women's professional basketball. There Are has to funny? be some. So just find a way you and I off the soapbox, I think now on this. But, you know,
3: I will say just going back to that two weeks ago, no NFL Sunday, Liberty weekend, 905,000 viewers. You know, if that was a finals clincher like this past game, this past week's game was, that's probably at least a million. Right. And I mean, I just it it boggles the mind. I I mean, you don't need to go this. And the worst part is usually the WNBA finals is like a month later than this. Next year, it'll probably be back in October. And that's not just the NFL, but the baseball playoffs too. Yep. So something else to think about. Let's move
2: on. Love it or leave it. For the first time, I think intentionally, they may have had this happen because of a delayed game for whatever reason, because a stadium was being used for the World Series and they had to move a a Monday night a game to Monday night football from the NFL or a hurricane maybe in Florida, delayed a game for the Buccaneers or the Dolphins, et cetera, and they had to move a second Monday night game. It's the first time since... Uh, that, that I that I really know planned that a post-week one Monday night doubleheader happened. So John and I are releasing the podcast right after uh, the yeah. Bills just destroyed the Tennessee Titans, and it wasn't really a close game either for the Eagles beating the Minnesota Vikings at home. So a Monday night doubleheader with the Steve Levy, Louis Riddick, Dan Orlovsky crew working the Buffalo game with the Titans and Joe Buck and Troy Aikman and Lisa Salters and company working the Eagles win on ABC, two different networks. It was split, love it or leave it. Is that something they should do maybe a little more of? Because there's some saying they kind of like the staggered two games on Monday night. What's your thought, John?
3: Well, they're going to do it more. They're going to do it three times a year. It's part of the contract. Uh, This is the year before the contract kicks in. So it's kind of a test. They're going to do it again. Now the NFL is making the bet that having that cannibalization for about 90 minutes is better than having one game start at seven and the other start at 10. So this is the way it used to be with the week one doubleheader on ESPN. They'd have a game at seven and a game at 10. That game at 10 invariably was the lowest rated NFL game of the season on national TV, not counting NFL network, right? Uh, terrible time slot and you know, obviously not what the NFL wants. So they're, they're betting that that seven o'clock window is gonna be weak. Seven o'clock is not a great window, right? them moving the college football championship to 7:30, it's going to be really interesting to see what the ratings look like there next year. But uh, seven o'clock—that's not prime time unless it's Sunday. It's not an ideal start. But of course, 8:30 ABC much better than 10:15 ESPN. So we'll see what the ratings look like. Uh, the last time they did this, Katrina
2: 05. Interesting. Where uh, they and they were forced to do that. Yeah. Uh, Again, after after the week one situation and with the makeup, um, the one advantage was the Buffalo game. The early game became such a runaway, especially in the early third quarter under a normal circumstance. You know this, John, they wouldn't have had any other option, but at least they could start promoting. Hey, go watch. You want to see it? Go watch the Eagle. Uh, Vikings game that was much more competitive you had an alternative game you had a second game the tune to because I guarantee you I don't have it in front of me there was no one outside of the Buffalo friends and family in the Buffalo TV market that was watching the end of the fourth quarter of that game with that blowout yeah
3: and you know I mean the Vikings Eagles game wasn't particularly good either right uh, that's two two kind of crummy games uh and not worthy of the red zone uh, format with the split screen right uh look uh it is what it is they'll do it again three times next year maybe they'll get better games uh and uh you know it's all a test run it's all a test run
2: the good nope. thing is bear, uh, in, bear in mind like in the case of buffalo and the titans that's perennial playoff teams the last yeah. two or three years the eagles were a playoff team last year uh that won the division also the minnesota vikings have actually been a perennial playoff team the last two or three years so they were hoping they would be better matchups. The NFL strategically did that, but you can't always have it work out that way. With the game,
3: Yeah, I will say it was an inauspicious beginning for Orlovsky, him uh, fumbling over his words, which, you know, happens. I mean, that happens to me all the time, uh, you know, and I'm not going to be too harsh about somebody on live TV, probably nervous. First time doing an NFL game. Uh, you know, an auspicious start. I know Dan Patrick said he enjoyed uh, the uh, Orlovsky, Levy, and Riddick team today. You know, I mean, I've never been overwhelmingly high on Orlovsky. Uh, of course, my opinion doesn't matter. His bosses are high on him. That's what it's uh, the only thing that matters to him. But, you know, uh, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I've always just kind of felt uh, I've never gotten the Orlovsky thing. But, you know, it was uh, look, I mean, they'll have their opportunities. They'll be the B team. And we'll see how long they get to keep that going.
2: All right. One more. Love it or leave it. I did mention tortillas earlier. I'm not going the tortilla route. I'm going to swerve on you. We go back to New Orleans, back to seafood. I don't know that I've ever asked you about this, but they I'll even name the place. They have a legendary uh, place in the French Quarter right on the river wall called Drago's. Drago's serves uh, grilled oysters, flame grilled oysters. Are you an oysters guy? Love it or leave it. Have you ever tried a flame grilled oyster? Just curious, John Lewis.
3: No, I, I've had an octopus before.
2: I'm going back to the red Wings. <laughs> and the red Wings.
3: Yeah, but I've never had an uh, oyster. Uh,
2: right.
3: you know,
2: not a big seafood. And I'm not. A, I'm not an oyster guy either. But they sell those up. I think by the half ton at that place at drago's and i will say it was it was quite interesting to be in there while the lsu mississippi state game was on which the whole state of louisiana cares about uh and the the Tigers scored a touchdown and the place erupted while the fried oysters the grilled uh char-grilled oysters were, were being shoveled every which direction to everybody that wanted them uh there on that okay so we're good enough on the seafood I think we're pretty well good on the podcast. Anything else that we've left out here in closing covering college football, the NFL, the WNBA? Um, I know Ryan Rucco again on his conversation with us on the sportsmediawatch.com feed is talking about Aaron Judge and the home run chase. Again, as as the week unfolds here, you may know more about him trying to get to 61 with Roger Maris or surpass that for the American League record and the Yankee record. Great point Rucco made that the Maris record is obviously the American league record, but it's the Yankee record. And the same thing with Babe Ruth right below it at 60 home runs. It's the, it's the American league previous record and the Yankee record. The judge is kind of chasing after and Ryan may very well be part of the call. We'll see. Yeah.
3: Looking forward to, uh, to seeing that. And of course the Yankees play on Apple TV plus, which has disaster potential. (laughs) (laughs)
2: can you imagine if that's the 60 second home run later in the week and what that call is going to be i guess mike and phil will be all over that on announcer schedules as well uh, for now, I think we're good. Our thanks to Charles Davis, our thanks to CBS Sports and their media team for helping us line that interview up with Charles. Again, he and I and Eagle are calling Jets and Bengals this weekend. John, anything else in closing?
3: Well, uh, Obviously, uh, thanks to the Yes uh, PR team for setting up the interview we did with Brian Rupo
2: as well. Love that. Uh, we thank all of you for listening and for finding us. Again, follow or subscribe to the Sports Watch.com podcast feed. For now, for the John Lewis, I am merely TJ Reeves. Enjoy your weekend i'm off to lubbock texas for texas texas tech i have to be back john in tampa for buccaneers packers which is the fox national game uh, for fox nfl sunday the game of their week with uh, kevin burkhart greg olson aaron andrews tom rinaldi it will be a big football weekend i promise to report back uh with you on all of that for next week my friend thank you yeah
3: looking forward to it
2: there is john lewis i'm merely tj reeves thank you for finding us on the sportsmediawatch.com podcast